0: long time so I better pray (laughs) Uh, thank you father for this opportunity thank you for being so good thank you for this family and and for your for your church as imperfect as we are Um, you love us and we are called together under you to love you to serve you to seek you um, to help establish your kingdom here on earth and I, I pray that we would do well with that God, so speak to us today. We we don't want to leave here, just like we came. God, move. As Scott said it. You're on the move, and and I believe it. I believe it. And I pray that you move in us here today. In Christ's name, Amen. All right. Um, so, I'm going to share a, a just a. How this message? Mel asked me if I would share in July. Um, I said, "Yeah, I'll be here this this week." They were, he was going to be gone. Bruce was going to be gone. Um, they needed somebody. I have, like I said, I haven't been up here for I don't even remember when. It's been a lo- over a year, I think. It's been a while, anyway. Um, but I, I'm happy to do it. I enjoy doing it. Um, I do get nervous, but just to just to um, bring you up to to where this message today came from, I was. Last week was camp meeting, crazy busy. I love camp meeting week, but for me, because I work every day and drive up at night and it's just this back and forth and, and trying to keep the house, you know, everything going at home and keep my out-of-control beans picked, and just just it's been it was a crazy, crazy week. And it ended on Sunday, camp meeting. And I came home and, and Sunday night I was laying in bed. And it kind of dawned on me. Not that I had forgotten, but it dawned on me: I'm preaching on Sunday, and I was like, "Oh my word!" Because I hadn't given it much thought, and I—I'm I, not like Mel. Mel, I think, prepares weeks in advance. It seems like, and he's—he's he's wired differently than me. I'm just—it's not me. Uh, but I'm not—I don't like to be—you know—I don't like to procrastinate too much. I like to at least have an idea what God wants um, when I—when I get to share. Um, so I was laying there in bed, and and um, I just said my, my, my habit at bedtime is I try to get to bed early. I don't like staying up late. I like getting to bed early and getting up early. So that's just me. Some of you think I'm weird, but that's the way I'm wired. Um, but my habit before bed is, is always to spend time with the Lord in in my bed. Um, my, my last thoughts are, are of God. My last words are to God. And of course that night, since I Was sort of like oh my word i'm preaching on sunday i said god i need you to give me something for this week because i'm tired i you know camp meeting was awesome amazing teaching everything but i didn't have any kind of feeling like where does this need to go i said can you just give me something a topic or anything to go on just to get started tonight like in a dream or you know during the night whatever and i pray every every night god use me use me this night um, speak to me through the night whatever my mind is is a little more settled when I'm sleeping than it is during the day so I, I think God has opportunities to do things and even use me in ways at night that he doesn't during the day um, that's just maybe lack of control self-control in my own life or just busyness whatever but um, I, I pray almost every night God used me tonight and he wakes me up a lot to pray so um, I'm thankful for that but anyway my my closing thoughts for the day and i fall asleep pretty quick when i go to bed i'm usually out quickly but my last my last words to god were you need to give me something how about tonight you know give me give me something to go on and when i woke up in the morning i knew um the only thing i remembered from that night from any dreams was this middle-aged guy who was semi bald um kind of like me i guess It didn't look like me, though. It was someone else. Um, The only thing I remember was was this middle-aged guy saying these words in in one of my dreams. And this is where we're going to be looking at today. I I took it as a direct word from the Lord for for me to share a topic. Uh, From Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. that was it. And it was NIV because that's what I usually read. So that's what this person in my dream said this verse. And I didn't, when I woke up, I was like, okay, I'm not sure where that is exactly. But of course I found it quickly. Um, And and I took that, no doubt in my mind, God wanted me to share about seeking the Lord and share from these verses in Jeremiah. So that's what I'm going to do. And I don't say that as God is my witness. I don't say that for my benefit or for any kind of, you know, whatever for me it's for your benefit it's to stir your faith god is not just on the move god is still speaking god is still wanting connection with his people with his creation so don't limit god to how he relates to you how he speaks to you how he directs you and guides you in your life because it's he's god he does what he wants he does but don't don't close out certain areas and say, this isn't how God works, this isn't where, he's not going to do this. So that's the only reason I'm sharing that God spoke to me, occasionally he does in dreams, he speaks to me in dreams and, and um, that's no pride on my part. That's glory to God and hopefully stirs your faith to seek the Lord. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, um, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, This is an an interesting book. Uh, I want to just break it down a little bit, just to give a little bit of context for this verse. Uh, Most of you have heard me speak before, and I have trouble reining in. I I try to cover too much, and and I go in all directions. And there's so much stuff that I think needs to be there that it's so important. It has to be part of it. Um, I'll try not to do that today. I don't have a lot of notes, but um, I do want to give a little bit of context To to this verse first um, Jeremiah's call some of this stuff I didn't know I when I started studying and and researching some stuff I had some eye-opening experiences studying for this uh, sermon so it's been really good for me as well but Jeremiah's call in chapter one of Jeremiah and verses four through ten verses four through ten. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So this was Jeremiah's call. If I figured it right, Jeremiah would have been 17 years old when God came to him and said, I've called you before you were born I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations at 17 years old so that's why he says I'm just a kid like how can I do this I'm just a kid you guys aren't 17 yet but some of you are getting closer 17 years old God came to Jeremiah and um Jeremiah tried to run in a sense like he said I I can't do this I don't speak well and I'm so young why me and God says, "Because I've chosen you, because I've called you for this, that's why you—not because of who you are or anything special—I called you before you were before you were born. I I called you and set you apart for this purpose." Um, Jeremiah was a peer of King Josiah. He was born a, around the same time as King Josiah, so <clears throat> Jeremiah's upbringing would have been would have he would have seen. Um, if you remember, Josiah became king when he was very young, eight years old, I believe. Um, and even though he was very inexperienced, it was quickly seen that Josiah feared the Lord, and he wanted to turn his nation back to their God. And he started tearing down idols and, and moving the country in that direction. So this is the the atmosphere that Jeremiah would have been um, would have been brought up in. And then at 17 years old, God called him, came to him, and spoke to him and touched his mouth and put his words in his mouth. Uh, I don't know how all that happens or happened, um, but there was no doubt what what God was, was wanting to do. Um, so when Jeremiah's ministry started, he would have had, if I figured this right, which I, I checked and double-checked, I'm not good with math, but I think I have it right. Um, from 17 years old, um, for about 15 years, his ministry would have the first 15 years of his ministry that God called him to, the the ministry of a prophet, would have been under the the time of King Josiah, who was a godly king. Um, he was young, but he was a godly king. He who was leading his people um, into the ways of God for the first 15 years. This is what um, Jeremiah would have experienced. So easy, maybe not, but. Um, not the conflict that he was about to face i'd like to read um read something here from um a helpful helpful book when it comes to the old testament it's just it's just a sort of a commentary on the old testament but this writer i think put it very well what what jeremiah um how things changed quickly for him when josiah died um Fifteen years into his ministry, the sudden death of Josiah was crucial for Judah. Um, Jeremiah was a prophet called to the to the the people of Judah, the the southern kingdom. Yeah, the southern kingdom, when Israel split into Israel and and Judah, Um, the sudden death of Josiah was crucial for Judah as well as for Jeremiah personally. While the prophet mourned the loss of this godly king, his nation was thrust into a whirl of international conflicts. Jehoahaz reigned but three months before Nietzsche of Egypt took him captive and placed Jehoiakim on the Davidic throne in Jerusalem. Not only did this sudden turn of events leave Jeremiah without godly political support, but almost abandoned him to the wiles of apostate leaders who enjoyed Jehoiakim's favor. <clears throat> the years 609 to 586 bc <clears throat> were the most hectic were the most hectic unparalleled in old testament times politically the sun was setting on judah's national existence as international conflicts brought shadows of extinction that ultimately left jerusalem in ruins in religious matters most of the old evils eliminated by josiah remember i said he was a good king even at 8 years old he, he started to, um, soon after he became king, he, he started to follow the Lord and destroy idols. Um, most of the old evils eliminated by Josiah returned under Jehoahaz. Um, Canaanite, Egyptian, and Assyrian idols were openly replaced after Josiah's funeral. Jeremiah fearlessly and persistently warned his people of coming disaster. Since he ministered to an apostate nation with godless leadership, he was subjected to persecution by his own people. A martyr's death undoubtedly would have been a relief compared to the constant suffering and anguish that Jeremiah endured as he continued his ministry among a people whose national life was in the process of disintegration. Jeremiah is often called a weeping prophet, and this is why. This is why. This this writer says, certainly a martyr's death. If they'd have killed him instead, he probably would have been better off than, than having to continue in a ministry that God called him to. Instead of obeying God's message as delivered by the prophet, they persecuted the messenger. Crisis after crisis brought Judah nearer destruction as Jeremiah's warnings continued to be ignored. The year 605 B.C. marked the beginning of Babylonian captivity for some of the citizens of Jerusalem, while Jehoiakim pledged his allegiance to the invading Babylonians. In the Egyptian-Babylonian struggle during the remainder of his reign, Jehoiakim made the fatal mistake of rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, precipitating the crisis of 598 and 597. Not only did death abruptly end Jehoiakim's reign, but his son Jehoiakim and approximately 10,000 leading citizens of Jerusalem were taken into exile. This left the city with only a semblance of national existence while the remaining poorer class controlled the government under their puppet king zedekiah the religious and political struggle continued for another decade as judah's national hopes faded at times zedekiah was concerned about jeremiah's advice but more frequently he yielded to the pressure of the pro-egyptian party in jerusalem which favored rebellion against nebuchadnezzar consequently jeremiah suffered with his people as they endured the final siege of Jerusalem. With his own eyes, the faithful prophet saw the fulfillment of the predictions that prophets before him had so frequently voiced. After 40 years of patient warning, Jeremiah witnessed the horrible result. Jerusalem was reduced to a smoldering heap of ruins, and the temple was destroyed. So this is... um, Next time you read Jeremiah, remember... Remember that. Remember the situation. Um, Jeremiah's message, like I said, he was called the weeping prophet. His message was very much a uh, a warning against idolatry and a warning of coming destruction to the people of Judah. Unlike some of the other prophets, Isaiah in particular, there was very little talk if you read through the book of Jeremiah, there's very little talk of or, or hope of restoration. Restoration as a people, as a nation. Very, very little, um, this is what God is going to do. It was mostly, stop doing this. There's destruction coming. You're going to be destroyed. Put away these idols. It was this kind of talk from Jeremiah. This is what God called him to. Um, Jeremiah tried not to speak. At times, He had almost no friends. If you study Jeremiah's history, he had pretty much, once things went bad, he had like one friend who was sort of a friend, but it was somebody that was, you know, sort of a, uh, um, almost like a, not a, I don't want to say a business partner, but, you know, because of his, his office as a prophet, he had somebody who, who, who sort of helped him. Um, but he really had no friends. He felt at, he felt at times deceived by God. You can read some of his words and you can, you can easily see that Jeremiah at times felt like, God, you deceived me. You deceived me. He had a love for his people. His weeping was often weeping for his own people, for his, for his race. Several times in the book of Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah, don't intercede for these people. Don't pray for them. That's hard. That's hard. Like for me, that's hard to hard to come to grips with a little bit. Just because um, I know without a doubt that prayer changes people. And God at times said, don't intercede for these people. There's destruction coming. Don't intercede for them. He tried to be silent sometimes, but he says, your word is like fire inside of me. Can't be quiet. I want to be, but I can't. It comes out. I have to say it. This was God's call. This was Jeremiah. Um, anybody want his life? When I was studying this, I was like, "Oh my!" Anyway, the culture, um, the culture of where where Jeremiah lived and where this took place was um, rampant idolatry. This was in Canaan, the land of Canaan, the Promised Land. remember what God said when he when he brought the Israelites into the promised land, he said, take out all the Canaanites. And what did Israel do? They didn't take out all the Canaanites. They left them there. They made treaties with them. They married their 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 sons, married their daughters. They they took on their idols. They took on their idols. So in this time of history, um, Canaan, the land of Canaan was was rampant with idolatry Um, we know some of the idols that they worship. The the main some of this I didn't I didn't understand some of this I didn't understand or or know. I don't think I did that. Um, but their main their main idol you may have never even heard of it. The, their main like the the god of all of their gods of the land of Canaan was called El E L. Um, he was sort of pictured as a bull. He was the bull of the herd. That was his. That was sort of his. Um, his title and it's what his name meant like El was the was sort of the dad and Asherah was in their minds in their religion in their cult she Asherah was the wife and their children were all these other gods that the Canaanites served they of course we've heard a lot about Asherah it's in the Bible a lot um, but Baal Baal worship Baal was supposedly a son of El and Asherah and he was given he was given the throne in a sense. He was sort of the prince of the gods. He was given the power from El and Asherah to rule over the other gods uh, of Canaan and to rule over the people. He was kind of the prince. Ashtoreth, Aneth, Mot, uh, Reshef, Molech. We know something about Molech. Um, Ishtar, you may have heard of. They had 70 or 80 gods that they worshipped, the Canaanites. Um, they were... All of these gods were, were not moral. They were very, uh, they had no morals. The, the gods, that was one thing about these gods. There was no morals, which makes sense why the Canaanites had no morals. And they, they followed these gods. Um, it was, they did child sacrifice. There was um, sacred prostitution going on in, in Canaan, which was a, a, a sort of religious prostitution type thing. Um, they worship snakes, uh, different kinds of animals. A lot of this this kind of stuff was going on in that time, and um, you know we see some similarities. It's the same it's the same spirits that were that were ruling Canaan that are alive today. There's no new principalities there's new there's no new demons they're not reproducing it's the same spirits the bible says that no temptation has seized us except that which is common to man um that's because it's the same devil it's the same spirits it's the same powers that are that are harassing people now as it was back then um this was a concentrated area of um of demonic activity and like the whole thing of child sacrifice like People, I get a little bit irritated when people um, try to make God out as a um, an unjust or a mean God when they read things like, "Go in and go into the promised land and get rid of everybody." And and people will will blame God and they'll say, "How can you How can you love this God? How can you serve this God that told these people to go in and kill everyone?" But you know, <clears throat> where would we be? Where would our nation be? Where would the world be had the Israelites obeyed? <clears throat> if this was, um, this was the beginning. <clears throat> excuse me. If this was the place where where child sacrifice had its origination. This was the place where it was birthed. The god of Molech is where they sacrificed their children, the Canaanites. And the Israelites started doing it too. They took on, Judah started taking on these same rituals. They would actually go and and sacrifice, offer their children, usually young children, sometimes babies, to the god of Molech. One of the ways they did it, and this is gruesome and I don't want to freak anyone out, but this is the reality of where they lived. They would, Molech had hands, this this big God, and it, they would heat the hands up with fire, and they would put their kids in there. These were big, like big, idol, you know, and they would put their kids in there and burn them, live kids. This was, we still have child sacrifice today. It's just called something different. It's called a woman's right to choose, right? Same thing. 70 million plus just in our country, the blood of 70 million babies crying out from the ground. What would our world, what would this nation look like had the Israelites been obedient? Had they, had they done what God said to do? The sovereign God who said, this is what I want you to do. And they said, no, we'll do it our way. What would the world, I, I, I think about it, what would the world look like had the Israelites obeyed? What are some of the things that we struggle with? This cult of sexuality and fertility, which is what the Canaanites, essentially is what it was. Their religion, all these gods, it was all centered around fertility and, and sexuality. And it's like, in our world today, I mean, like I said, it's always been here, but how how engrossed is our society in sexuality? Like, it's it's just rampant. It's just running rampant. How would it be had the Israelites obeyed? If this was a place, see, these, these gods, they gain their influence, they gain their power through influence. That's how they that's how they become stronger, and and these, these movements and these sins um, they become stronger because of the influence they, ha- they have in people's lives. There's a reason that God told the Israelites, get rid of this stuff. Get rid of these people. Wipe them out. I know that's harsh. It's harsh for us. And we think, oh, how could God say, take these people out? But when you look at the consequences of not obeying, what God said was the most loving thing he could have said, was the most was the best thing he could have said. But Judah went all in. They joined in with... Um, with the Canaanites in their rebellion, in their idolatry, in, in Jeremiah chapter 11, um, verses 9 to 14. This kind of sums it up. In several places in Jeremiah, you can find similar things that, that God said to the people. Jeremiah eleven nine to 14. Then the Lord said to me, there's a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their forefathers to the sins, <clears throat> the sins of their forefathers who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken the covenant I made with their forefathers. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. The towns of Judah and the people of Jerusalem will go and cry out to the, to the gods to whom they burn incense. But they will not help them at all when disaster strikes. You have as many gods as you have towns, O Judah, and the altars you have set up to burn incense to that shameful God Baal are as many as the streets of Jerusalem. You can find, you can find many places um, throughout the Old Testament, and especially here in Jeremiah where where God rebukes the his people uh, and, and some of the like he basically says, under every tree you have an idol. Under every tree, you sacrifice to these gods, to these idols, to these people who are not the real God. They're, they're pieces of wood and stone and metal. And you're out there worshiping and you're sacrificing to these gods. Under every, under every tree and around every corner and on every hill, you do these things. This was the culture that Jeremiah was, uh, was living in and ministering in this time. This is something... That, if you'll remember from Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses prophesied this very thing. Moses was a prophet um, as well as a great leader. Um, but he prophesied these very things, almost, almost word for word some of it, the things that Jeremiah is now telling the people. We could turn to, to Deuteronomy real quick, chapter 4, um, verse, starting at verse 15. Just want to read um, read some verses here. This is this is a context of this. This is Moses speaking to uh, the people of Israel just before they were going to go into the Promised Land. Um, he Moses knew he wasn't going in, and nobody else over sixty years old would be going in except for Joshua and Caleb. They would be the only ones. Moses knew he wasn't going in. Um, but he was speaking to the ones who were, who were going to enter the promised land. A lot of these people had known nothing but the desert that he was speaking to here. They were born and raised in the desert. So that's some of the older ones remembered Egypt. But most of these people, um, they would have not known anything but the desert. And this is Moses, one of his, his, some of his final words to the people of Israel before they go into the promised land. Which, by the way, they could have gone in. Almost immediately, within a year, God took them to the promised land. And that's when the spies went in, remember? And w- they came back, and what happened? Joshua and Caleb said, we can take it, let's go. And the, and the others said, uh, "No, no." they poisoned the minds of the, of the Jews. They poisoned their minds, and they believed them. And they said, we can't do it, they're too tough. We can't go in, we have to stay. And, and God had to prepare them for 40 years in the desert, wandering So they could be ready to go in. That's why all of those who were 20 years and older were not allowed to go in. But Anyway, um, Deuteronomy 4.15. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman. Or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. Kind of covering everything there. And When you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has, has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. The Lord was angry with me because of you. And he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful. Not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I, will, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. So this, prophesied by Moses... About 800 years earlier. So this is a long time. From the time the Israelites were entering the promised land until the time of, of their exile to Babylon is approximately 800 years. So a big chunk of time in there. Um, but this is, this is the situation now that Jeremiah finds himself in. Called as a young man, 17, to speak to his nation, to the people of Judah... And try to turn them back from their sin. To warn them of coming destruction. To warn them to, to put away the idols. To stop worshipping other gods that aren't gods at all. Worship the true and living God. And this is, the, this is where we find ourselves in chapter 29. Jeremiah is writing a letter to the exiles. Those who were taken to Babylon. Babylon. And he's basically saying, um, settle in for the long haul, because you're going to be there a while. Jeremiah tells them they're going to be there for 70 years in Babylon as captives. He's saying, plant your fields, settle in. This was in response to some false prophets who were telling the people, We're not going to be here long. God's rescuing us. You know, we're going to be out. Jeremiah sends this letter, and he says, don't listen to them. Settle in. You're going to be there for a while. God has told me 70 years you're going to be spending in the land of Babylon. And just on a side note, um, I didn't realize this, but in in reading some commentary and stuff, um, this tour in Babylon, this time that they spend in Babylon, seems to have fixed the Jews' Um, when it comes to their idol worship, this type of idol worship. There's nowhere through the rest of the, um, the Bible, through the prophets, through the New Testament, where the, where the Jews are told to not sacrifice to idols and, and worship these idols. There is some talk in the New Testament about idols, but it's not in the sense that, that God is telling his people not to worship them. It's more about food sacrifice to idols and, and dealing with some of the idols in some of the, the Gentile towns, But to the Jews, this seems to have cured them somehow. After 800 years, somehow their time in Babylon, those 70 years, fixed it. How? I don't know. But interesting, I thought. God knows what he's doing. So, chapter twenty-nine. Let's come back to uh, back to where we were at the start here. This was a difficult time. I said all that to tell you this was this was an extremely difficult time, maybe unparalleled in the in the history of Israel, the history of the Jews. This time, and this is where God had called. Jeremiah to minister and to show his heart for his people, which we're going to see right here as we read. Starting at verse 10 in in Jeremiah 29, this is what the Lord says. Remember, this is a letter that he sent to the exiles in Babylon when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. You know this verse, sometimes taken out of context, but you know this verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So once again, If you you follow the Old Testament chronologically, it's not written chronologically, but if you follow it chronologically, you can see see the ups and downs, sometimes down a little longer and up a little longer, whatever. But you can see the the pattern of the Jews being close to the Lord, seeking the Lord, loving the Lord, and soon they start start going down and they they go deep and they go down and there's idol worship and all kinds of things. And God disciplines them he sends something, someone, whatever it is, different, different ways to bring them back. And at some point, they, they repent. They say, oh, God, we blew this one, and we need to come back. This is a pattern for the Jews. And we see it here again. And we see God's heart once again for his people. It comes through again. In the book of James, um, I think it's in James, it says that mercy triumphs over judgment. This is our God. This is his way. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's always judgment for sin. There's always, um, th- there needs to be judgment for sin. But here, even in the Old Testament, we see God's mercy, again, triumphs over justice or over judgment. You see it in, in his words to his people. If you seek me, you'll find me. When you, if you seek me, you'll find me when you're, when you're far away in this place. Moses said the same thing. We cut short um, the reading a little bit there in Deuter- Deuteronomy four, but if you go back and you finish the next three verses, starting at verse 29, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter four, we see God's heart, the same thing, almost the same exact almost the same exact words, God's heart for His people. After you remember what Moses said. When you start worshiping these idols, when you start worshiping the the created things rather than the creator, this is what's going to happen to you, bad things. And then he says, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. So here we see Jeremiah saying, echoing the words of Moses, in a sense. God's giving him the same thing, the same thing that God told Moses 800 years ago. He's now telling Jeremiah again, and Jeremiah writes it down and sends it to the people, um, his people, the people of Judah who are now captive in Babylon. God always has a promise to to the seekers. All through the Bible, there's a promise to the seekers, those who are seeking him. It's, I will listen, and you will find me. All the way back, starting with Moses, and even before that, even before that, God's promise to the seekers, to those who are seeking him, to those who, who desire him, who want to know him. I will listen, and you'll find me there's a condition just like so many promises of the bible there's a condition on this promise most of god's promises have conditions on them they're not just it's not a just grab whatever you want you know grab the good things you know that god offers all the time and just and just you know hoard it for yourself whatever there's almost always conditions on his promises god says i will listen and you will find me but what's the condition if you seek or if you search with all your heart. God's not too interested in half-hearted devotion. He never has been. He's not looking for people who are halfway committed, who want just the benefits of God, but but aren't willing to to seek with all their heart, aren't willing to lay down, to surrender um, the things that God says you need to surrender. We sometimes, in, in um, in our zeal to... Have people come to the Lord, we mislead them. And we say, Jesus will forgive all your sins. Just come to Him. It's that easy. You just pray this prayer and it's you're all good. You're set for heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. Not what the Bible teaches. Absolutely, salvation is free. It's a gift. It's something that only God can do for us. We can't earn it. It's free in the sense that you can't earn it. You can't do You could could work the rest of your life and and be the best person ever, and you can't earn. You don't measure up. You can't earn God's love. You can't earn his salvation. In that sense, it's free. But on the flip side, it costs us everything. Jesus made it so clear. So clear. You want to follow me? You're going to have to take up your cross daily follow me. The condition of this promise of God was for those who seek or search him with all their heart so God's heart to his people the people of Judah the people about to enter the promised land, the people sitting here in these pews is the same his heart is to have all of us seeking him, all of our hearts seeking him if you're halfway committed, you'll fall away As soon as any kind of pressure comes, you fall away. That's why God is wanting full commitment, full seeking of him. A beautiful promise that comes with a condition uh, that our hearts are fully engaged. This is the beautiful part of, I, I think, of when God does these kinds of things, when he says these kinds of things. Even in the most desperate situation, remember who these people were, the people of Judah. They were desperate. They were... Their their nation had just been destroyed. This was the end of Judah. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The people were exiled, most of the people. But even in that place, and this was caused by their own sin. This was caused by their own sin. In a desperate, terrible place, Caused by my own sin. God offers a rescue. He says, here's here's the rescue. If you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Even in the place of desperation, because of their own sin, God didn't send them to Babylon because because they were serving him and doing what he told them. They went to Babylon because of their own sin. They brought it on themselves. They brought... This judgment on themselves. And even in that place, God reaches out his hand and he he gives them an offer. He offers them a rescue. Just like he always has, all through creation, all through history. God offers a rescue. He says, If you if you seek, if you look for me, you'll find me. But don't look half-heartedly. Don't look half-heartedly. with all your heart God continues to hold out his hand to mankind the offer to know him he's looking for seekers he's looking for those who will pursue him with all their heart we find ourselves in a place like this sometimes in a place of of judgment uh, and things are different. We're going to get to that in a second. Things are different for us now than they were back then because of Jesus, because of what he's done. Um, the Old Testament lens is a little bit different than the New Testament lens. And there's some things that need to, you need to um, reconcile. But we find ourselves in, in this place sometimes. I can speak for myself at least. In a place of, I'm not in a good place and it's my fault. And that the hand of God, I believe, is always there. The offer is always there. Seek me. Seek me. The voice of the enemy is there, too. His voice would sound more like, you're not good enough. Look what you did. You blew it again. And God's saying, seek me. I'm still here. Seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. Jesus opened up. Jesus, the, the veil, the veil terror, the veil remover. You know, the remember the curtain, the veil that separated the, the normal people from God. You couldn't go in there in the Old Testament. You couldn't go in. When Jesus died, the veil was gone. He's the one who removed it. It was his death that removed it, that gave us access It's all over the New Testament, gave us access to God. He's... Th- flung the door wide open for us to seek him. He took away every hindrance for us to seek him. There's a difference. Old Testament seeking and New Testament seeking is slightly different, but the heart of God is the same. He created us for a purpose, and that's to know him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to to meet and know and understand the most awesome being in the universe. If we're satisfied with new cars or a cool house or a great job or whatever, like those are fine. But if that's what brings us our satisfaction, we are so undershooting where God wants us to. He says, You can know me, the God of the universe. You can know me, the God of the universe, if you seek me with all your heart. Jesus gave lots of pictures through the Gospels of seeking and not just seeking. If you were a camp meeting this week, um, I don't remember which night it was, but uh, Tim Valentino shared uh, about the woman with the lost coin. And he gave a a little bit of a backdrop of that. And it it made so much sense to me, so much more than it used to. Um, But he painted a beautiful picture of what Jesus was saying. And these things of value we're, we're willing to wreck the house and throw a party when we find it. What about God? How do, how do we seek him? Jesus gives us all these pictures of how he wants us to seek him. And it, none of it is casual. There's no casual. There's no live your life and tack me on to the end of it and you're good. You'll skate into heaven and everything will be fine. Jesus didn't give us that picture ever. That wasn't his, it wasn't in his mind. But some, sometimes we, we get into that place where I live my life and I do my thing and then I have God on the side. And that's sort of how we, we like to do it sometimes. But um, just a few of the words of, of Jesus I want to read here when he talked about seeking. I'm not going to go in. It, it's, the Gospels are littered with them. It's everywhere. All the pictures that he, um, that he gave us. But one in Matthew 13. Um, Verses 44 and 45, talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then, in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Our our lives um, are short here on this earth. And it really, comes down to, it really comes down to a simple question. Who are you going to seek? Who or what are you going to seek? Life is short. I know it sounds, it sounds morbid, but the Bible says that we all have an appointment with death. We're all, we're all checking out sometime. So what's important while we're here? What's important for all eternity? Who or what will we seek? Will we seek God with all of our heart? Or, like the people of Judah in in this story, um, will we seek idols? And we don't, people don't worship idols like that around here too much anymore. There's probably some, but that's not as big a deal. But we still have idols, it's still the same. All of, these, all of these gods that were, were made back then, they just look different now. We have the same thing. A lot of people idolize themselves, their own, their own comfort, their own well-being, their own health. It's not wrong to want to be healthy. Of course we want to. We take care of ourselves. But we idolize things that, that we, we put on the throne of our hearts. In our minds, anyone who's a believer, anyone who names the name of Jesus... In our minds, we always say, Jesus is most important. But then in our lives, we struggle sometimes because other things become too important. Other things look like idols. And God is, is, is offering <laughs> he's offering his discipline, first of all, to his children because it's what God does to his kids. He disciplines those he loves. And he's offering a rescue. Seek me. Seek me. And we can't ever think that, oh, I've been a Christian for so long. I, I know god i know about him i know what he's all about we don't even like we don't even know what's in our own waters our oceans how can man think that he can understand an infinite god the creator of everything that we see we can't figure out what's in our own on our own earth let alone the solar system our you know our solar neighborhood or or beyond that and then the god who created it all there's infinite um seeking to be done i'm not sure even when we get to heaven we're going to know everything that we think we will i think there's going to be more seeking There's going to be more seeking of god we'll be in his presence but we're not going to be like god in the sense that all of a sudden everything is like we just we're like we know everything now all all there is to know about god we know it i just don't That doesn't to me that doesn't make any sense and how that could ever be i think we're in for an eternity of seeking the Lord, of worshiping Him, of, of seeing His glory. Um, but what, what have we found that's better than knowing our Maker? What have we found that's better than seeking our Maker? Scott said earlier that God is on the move. One thing He's doing right now, He's doing it in my life and in a lot of other people here in this church and around the world, He is stirring people to seek him. He's stirring people to seek him. He's stirring people to get on their knees, to spend time with him, to to commit their lives to him. Not just, yeah, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus, and and I'm, I'm going to heaven, but Jesus, you're everything. You're everything. People are laying stuff down. They're giving stuff up for the sake of the kingdom. They're saying, you know what? I don't even need that it doesn't even appeal to me anymore whatever it is and they're they're laying it down for the kingdom of god and for god's glory and they're seeing fruit in their lives from seeking him from chasing after him it's all that god ever wanted from creation till now he wanted his people to know him to love him he still He's still trying to do that. He's still offering that to us this day. What will we choose? What will we choose? When God says, you'll seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. What does that mean? What does that mean to us? What does it mean to you to seek the Lord with all your heart? It's not going to be exactly the same. You and I, we're not the same. We're different. We have different lives. And, but what does it mean? I think every, everybody here, um, whether you're young, old, somewhere in between, whatever your, whatever situation you find yourself in, um, you're enjoying life, life stinks, you're successful, you fail at everything, you got the world by the tail, everything's good, your, your life is falling apart, you know the opposites wherever you find yourself somewhere in between probably where most of us are where wherever you are god's call is the same if you seek me you'll find me if you seek with all your heart god is wanting dedicated committed lovers of him and seekers of him more than anything this day I was praying that God would stir our hearts, that he would move us in some way, <clears throat> whatever it is. Some of you, God's been stirring. I know that. Some of you, God's been doing some, some stirring and some moving, and you've responded well. Some of you, God's been stirring, and you haven't responded well. Um, some of you today are, are feeling like not really sensing God at all. And for every one of us, God's offer is the same. The offer is the same. Seek me. Seek me. And this is not a works thing. It's not like you have to work to find God. God has has laid out the rescue. He's offered it to you. But he wants us to seek him. He wants our hearts. He wants our passions. He wants our desires to be for him. And not for everything else. So wherever you find yourself... Today, I pray that God stirs you, that he moves in you for an increased desire for him, an increased commitment to seek him. There's likely some, maybe several, I don't know, here who, who don't know Jesus, who don't, don't understand the love of God. God is a loving, merciful God who sent his own son to die in our place. See, the judgment that came on the the people of Judah, it doesn't have to come on us. That's why Jesus told the the woman caught in adultery, nobody condemns you, I don't condemn you either. Because he took the condemnation, because he took the judgment on himself. Jesus took it on himself. This is the world that we live in. This is the opportunity that we now have, that Judah didn't understand, that Jeremiah didn't understand. They only saw from a distance. But these days, forgiveness. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you feel, you feel conviction, which is a word that you know, we don't use a lot in our society. But it's just it's the, the spirit of God speaking to us and, and showing us that we need him, that we need Jesus. We need him in our lives. We need his rescue. Um, if your eyes have been opened today, Jesus is there offering a rescue to you as well. I'd like to, to pray. I, I really struggled with how to, to end our time here. And, and um, my heart was to, stir, was to sir, stir something in you that you begin to seek the Lord in new ways. Whether you're seeking him already Or not. That God will will move you and you'll begin to seek him. You'll begin to to dig into him. You'll begin to get in his word. You'll begin to spend more time in prayer. You'll start to to push some of the idols out of your life and make room for for God. Make room for what he wants to do in you. Um, By by removing some of this stuff, God has more more place to work. When Jesus talked about the the sower who went out to, to sow his seed... and and the seeds fell on different places, some on the path, some in the weeds, some on the rocks, whatever. Those were were conditions of the heart that he was talking about. Conditions of the heart. And God's looking for that fertile place, that fertile place for for seed to land. Not just for salvation, but for for everything that he wants to do. So weeds in your life, rocks in your life, sometimes we have to pull those things out and, and get rocks out of the way and we need, to, we need to change our habits, change our, our disciplines to, to make room for God, to, to make fertile soil for God. So um, I, I'd like to just have a, uh, a prayer with us all together and then um, have maybe some of our ministry team come up. And, and if anyone would like prayer, simply for an increased desire to seek the Lord, for an increased desire to seek the Lord, for a, an increased commitment to him. Um, maybe, like I said, you don't know Jesus and you want to. Come on up. We gladly talk to you and, and lead you to the Lord. Um, but I'd like to give an opportunity. I was really feeling like God wanted to stir some things in us today supernaturally, not with, not with my words, but with the, the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Um, God is looking for you to be a seeker. He's looking for those who are willing to pursue him, who are willing to seek him. Like I said, just as it was from the beginning, from the beginning of creation till now, he's always wanted the same thing. He wants people that seek him, who love him, who want to know him. And maybe you need some help. Maybe you just would like a prayer for, for increased desire to seek the Lord. Um, maybe you haven't been seeking the Lord. You don't even feel it at all, but you know... That this is right, this makes sense, this is where I need to be, and you just want someone to pray with you for for that seeking desire to start, for it to start, to be birthed in you. So I'm going to pray, and then if the ministry team could come up, and and we'll close our time. And if anybody wants to be prayed for or has something they want to share, you can come up, and and uh, there'll be a few of us up here, um, and then we'll we'll be dismissed. So. Father, you are a gracious God, you are sovereign, you know all things. God, forgive us for the times when we think we know better, when we choose our own way, when we make light of your word or your commands. God, we know that they're for our good. Your commands are not burdensome to us. They're for our good, they're for our benefit. And God, just as the just as the people of Judah rebelled, God, sometimes we rebel, sometimes we choose things that are not of you. We allow things in our lives and we welcome things and we worship things that are not of you. And God, I I ask for your forgiveness for us in that. Teach us to be seekers. Bring our hearts into alignment with you, with what you want, with your heart, God. There's so much of you that we have yet to explore. God, we sometimes, we we sit here and we're satisfied with so much less. God, I think of what C.S. Lewis said, we're content sometimes to sit in a mud puddle because we don't know about the, the ocean. We don't know about the sea. I don't know how exactly he said it, but we're, we're content to sit and splash in a puddle because we don't understand, because we don't see what's out there. We don't give you a chance to show us how awesome you are, how glorious you are, how much you love us. So God, may we be seekers of you. May we be like those ones, Jesus, that you said, when they found the pearl of great price, when they found the, um, you know, the treasure, they sold everything. They got rid of everything to follow, to find, to go and get that one thing. And God, that's, that's your kingdom. It's you. It's you. It's what you're calling us to, Jesus. You said, give it all up for me. Give it all up for me. God, wherever we are in our walk with you, I, I believe your, your call is the same. And you would, you would say to us, just come and find out. Come and find out. See if I'm not way more awesome than all this other stuff that you settle for. God, give us that heart to seek to search, to not give up. We need you, God. Even to seek you, we need you. We ask for your motivation, we ask for your heart, for your passion for us to chase after you, to seek you. No excuses, God. No excuses. Life's too short to make excuses. You've called us to follow, to be disciples, to take up our cross, to put our hands to the plow and not look back. Jesus, all these pictures you gave us pointing to one thing, You want our hearts, you want our passion, you want our desire, you want us to seek you. And there's great reward in that. Not just the salvation of our souls, but we get to know the maker of the universe, a loving God who cares for us. Who wants us to see things that that we have no idea. Wants to do things in us that we can't even imagine. God, moving us. Just as we we started this time, you're on the move. I believe it. I believe it. I see it. I feel it. Things are different. God, you're moving in the hearts of people all across this church, in this town. God, I see it. I don't want to miss any of it want to miss what you have for us, God. So let us seek you. Let us be on our knees before you. We pray in Christ's name.